Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. going on man how are you i'm good i just fucking i had my first haircut today uh it's since 2019 man i just let it grow and you know since all of this covid stuff's had a lot of things shut down i just thought well we'll wait and um today i just thought fuck it you know new chapter new do new perspective and it feels good so yeah life's good man feeling fresh <laughs> egg fresh you got, you got some uh you got some in the back you gotta you gotta you got a rat tail back there? Oh, man. I didn't keep the rat tail. I should have done. It was. It was like down there. It could have been an absolute beauty of a mullet. <laughs> yeah. It was nice as well. I went and visited. Like, there's a skate store in town. I live in Birmingham. And um, there's a skate store in Birmingham that's been open now for, like, 25 years, man. It was where I used to go as a kid to buy all my decks. And seeing, like, businesses like that, independent businesses like that, still open after all of this bullshit um is very heartwarming and inspiring to see and they're just like a little skate store that have been going for years man so yeah yeah it's a same this 20 2020 2021 was sink or swim you know it was gotta make your way through it dj paul and i got 2020 tattooed on us because we thought it was we considered it uh the year of the hustler 
Yeah. You know, straight so you up. Either make it happen, man. It was, you know, survival of the fittest. Yeah, and creativity doesn't stop, does it? Just because live music has uh, and certain restrictions have been put in place, creativity shouldn't stop. If anything, it should thrive in this time. You've obviously been on ins an insane run, um, which I want to get to, but I'd love to get some kind of context and backstory first. Um, what was your culture growing up? What were the kind of things that grabbed you and lit the fire in you? Whether it was skating or whether it was music, if it was music, what kind of music it was? What were the, you know, the things, the people that really set that fire in you from a young age and set you on this path that you're on, dude? Uh, I attribute uh, my earliest like musical influences and cultural influences from my mom. She was, uh, my mom was 16 when I was born and I was born right in de December 30th of 79. So I grew up in the eighties, but since my mother was 16, who had, growing up in the seventies and partly the sixties. Uh, she of course brought all of that music along with her, you know what I mean? So my house was full of classic rock music and outlaw country and a lot of vinyl. And, uh, she also like long, her first long-term boyfriend who we lived with for seven years was, uh, Aerosmith's light and sound guy. And, uh, Ario Speedwagon, 10,000 Maniacs, uh, fucking uh, Ted Nugent, uh, Alabama, Dwight Yoakam, Travis Truitt. Then she left when she got, when she left him, she married uh, uh, Randy Travis's stage manager who we were with for like seven years. So there was a wealth of music and entertainment in my life as a kid, you know? And um, when I, turn like 12 13 years old i started skateboarding when i was about seven um so 12 13 we moved to nashville tennessee and uh skateboarding was pretty much my life uh so you couple that with what was going on at home you know with country music and rock and roll along with early hip hop influences through skate videos like 411s all the 411s all the all the early girl and chocolate skate videos that were coming out that were bringing a, a wealth of underground hip hop to my world you know so i had a heavy heavy dose of coast to coast hip hop flavors which without skateboarding and, and that, that tide, I would have, uh, if I was in Tennessee, you know, so it was like one part, one part, three, six mafia, one part souls and mischief. Of course came Wu-Tang, Outkast, all of Swab House hip hop that was coming out of Texas. So there was just a wealth of music around, around me. Um, I just gravitated toward hip hop because of the 808, you know, and from like, literally from Revere. And I was like, I don't know, seven years old when I heard Paul Revere, seven, eight years old, something like that. And um, it just, it, it grabbed me. And I, for a while I didn't, there was no definition for hip hop for me. 
because I hadn't experienced it. It was just another form of music. No one handed me this music and said, yo, this is hip hop. It was actually Aerosmith. When Aerosmith and Run DMC were on the Walk This Way tour, they came and partied at our house in <laughs> no Alabama. Way. Yeah, because we were a dry county. They had a show in Birmingham, Alabama, and there was nowhere to party. Of course, my mom and her boyfriend had a house in Fort Payne on the lake. So the crew came out. They brought me my shirts, my Adidas tape, Beastie Boys tapes. And that was it. That was my first introduction to hip hop. Um, there were beat machines around my house because my uncles did light and sound design. And so there was an old SB 1200 at the house. And I don't know, man, I just kind of, it was kind of mapped out for me to, you know, it just poured into my world. Um, so, you know, when I was 12, 13, I started freestyling and writing and it, it was just kind of took over from there, man. I, it wasn't until I was 20, 21 years old where I started to actually take it seriously. But, um, yeah, it, it, it happened like that, basically, musically. It sounds like a magical childhood, was it? Or is that me romanticizing it? But culturally, it certainly sounds like, you know, so rich. No, it definitely was magical. There, I mean, there was lots of, uh, lots of madness, you know. You know, my mother was a rock star and all her friends were rock stars, too. So they lived a rock star lifestyle, you know. So there was lots of time. A lot of my childhood spent alone which helped me, you know, hone in on my craft and my art. And, um, you know, all the drama you could imagine that comes in a household filled with drugs and alcohol, you know what I mean? But uh, it, it definitely, there was definitely magic, definitely something uh, serendipitous that was happening in my, in my world that, that, that brought music the way that it did. And uh, yeah, so I feel very fortunate for that. Yes, yeah, that time as well, as you say, it was when punk rock and skateboarding and rock and hip hop and all of these worlds were colliding in this technicolor, you know, explosion of, of cross pollination. And it sounds like you were right there in the middle of, of all of it. Um, which is incredible. And I guess it was kind of written in the stars, right? I mean, it seems like you wouldn't have ended up doing anything else, being in the place you were at the time you were with the surroundings you were in. Yeah, it, you know, I guess, you know, kind of like, you know, the son of a pro basketball player or a professional athlete or having parents that were into any specific thriving career, you kind of like vicariously learn the ropes, you know, as you're, as you're like walking through it and, um, or, or, or living in it. And, uh, yeah, definitely, um, gave me the strength and the, uh, the attitude for it. You know, there's a certain amount of, uh, whether or not people would choose to admit it or not, I certainly recognize it. There's a certain amount of ego it takes to be an artist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, your ego a lot of times has to supersede your talent in order to gain the talent. You have to believe that you can have it, which is crazy. You know, it's, it's, 
it's insane to think that I even had a chance being from Alabama and the odds were against me for sure. But uh, I just had this undying faith and undying will to, to make it happen for myself. Were you around the business and like live shows and the, the stage and, and that environment as well? Like, were you being introduced to the industry and the machine and the inner workings of this crazy business of show from a young age too? Yeah, hundred percent. Like on tour buses all the time, you know, fucking setting in on sound check with Steven Tyler and banging on his drums when I was just a kid, you know, and, um, being around stars a lot and even country music stars like Randy Travis, Winona Judd, uh, the Jennings family, Jesse Whalen, uh, shooter. And, you know, when I was a kid in church, uh, it, it, it tainted me in, in a good way, in a way that didn't make me such a fan, but more, more or less feeling, um, a part of it and not, not an observer, but a participant, you know, uh, mm. and that's a, that's another, uh, it's an attribute that I, that I feel like has helped me along, along my career, you know, to stand in front of Marshall and not, of course I'm a fan, but to stand in, in front of an artist like Marshall, but not really feel intimidated, but more feel like a partner. Yeah, so. a peer, right? And um, I mean, yeah. when you were around these, you know, huge names and stars from a young age, were any of them taking an interest in you and showing you the ropes or encouraging you or offering you words of advice? Was there any of that being offered or were you more just like a sponge observing and soaking it in? Yeah, more like a sponge. I, I, there's a certain like vibe with established artists that, you know, I, I guess not to be typical, but it is to be sold, not told, you know, and, and, and this, and this game, I think that, you know, it is true. You either got it or you don't. And that's, that's completely up to you. So your children are not going to turn out how you want them to turn out never. And, and neither is an artist that you quote unquote believe in. Everybody has their own path. I think that, uh, more so it was like well if you got it we'll see you know what i mean we'll see we'll see how you survive you know like i remember early on telling uh a really established artist that i was going to go to la for a while and, and uh and try to shake it and he was like good fucking luck you know hope you don't go crazy hmm. you know and this was a really well-established multi-platinum artists, you know, who could have easily been like, Oh yeah. All right. I'll get you some studio time. I, I'll, I'll do this for you. I do that for you. <laughs> but that was the best advice he could have given me. Like, good luck, motherfucker, <laughs> you know, but once you like survive it and you earn your own stripes, you, you, you meet back up with some of those same people and they're like, fuck yeah, dude, you made it, you know, like congratulations, you know? So you, it's 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 to be earned yeah speaking of earning stuff as well there's another phrase that i heard once which is great which is like earning the release of your greatness and it's this idea that if you are supremely talented you know some people may be very very occasionally born that way 
But most people who you look at, the icons and the legends and the true artists, they've earned the release of that greatness by years of honing that craft and working and getting out, getting out, getting out until it gets to that point where they're releasing fucking gold, right? Um, do you believe in that idea of like earning that release of greatness and you know working your way up towards that kind of a command of skill set and talent? Yeah, I, I, people who are born talents are complete anomalies. Yeah. That's not a, you know, that's not at all common. That's one in a billion people are born, you know, and, and have figured it out in their teens. It's so, so rare. Um, I had to learn, man. You know, I had to like, stay on paper, stay in the studio and stay recording. You know, I've got hundreds and hundreds of recordings that I pray never see the light of day, <laughs> you know, but before I got to the point where I felt like I had something and more importantly, my respected peers felt like I had something that was worth hearing because it was so long that I would just, eh, it's all right, you know, whatever, you know, or maybe you should just be a producer yeah you know maybe you, maybe you just make beats or something i don't know if this is for you or your tone your your voice tone is too high or it's so many hard criticisms or and even to the point where you know getting on stage with like you know some of my first few shows was opening up for ray kwan and opening up for wu-tang clan here and overseas in birmingham matter of fact and getting booed off stage People throwing shit at me, calling me a redneck. Yeah, that's you know a tough I mean? crowd, like, man. That's a tough crowd. Yeah, yeah, it is a tough crowd. But, you know, I was just as fucking tough. I jumped down in the crowd, you know, like I was about it, you know, like whatever. Uh, so, but it's definitely when you're doing something brand, brand new, like genuinely brand new, it's always going to be really, really hard. And what I was bringing was absolutely fresh although people had hit on you know blending country with hip-hop like Bubba Sparks um there was no there was no one especially no white boys from the south that had the hip-hop appreciation I had and the lyrical appreciation I had combined with all these other things so it was a tough pill to swallow for the culture you know, they, they are and for the most part have always been on the fence about letting me in. And so I found like it was it was way more accepting for me to, you know, I, I've done Rock the Bells three, three or four times. But the difference between a Rock the Bells crowd and a Warp Tour crowd or opening up for Corn or opening up for Deftones, it's two different reactions yeah yeah and the, and the rock and roll fan base fucking brought me in and put me under their wings like we we love you you're welcome here whereas hip-hop has always been like eh maybe you know it's still that way you know and 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 it, like today like at this point in my career i feel like after all these years I feel more accepted and more appreciated than I ever have in the world of hip hop. That's a good it place took to that be. Long, you know, 
So have you and have you and Marshall had chats in regards to that? I mean, if anybody knows what it's like to, you know, really have to fight to earn the respect of a hip hop crowd, especially if you're a white guy, if anybody knows it's him. Um, did you two share any conversations in regards to that topic when you first yeah, met? For yeah, I mean, making the first record, my freshman record with Marshall was radioactive. And there was a lot of, for me, really hard creative discrepancies I had with records on that particular album because it was like being the new great white hype and everybody wanted a single. And there was a lot of like scratching the surface for hit records. So I was in the studio with producers and writers that I still believe I really didn't have any business in the studio with. And um, so that record to me is bittersweet. Um, I felt like after Trump music, the industry, after they brought me in, was trying to polish something that was just pure and good on its own. And if I had been left alone, maybe the reaction could have been better, in my opinion. But it was a good and hard lesson learned. And I remember conversations with Marshall specifically about, you know, not verbatim, because I don't remember his, I can't quote him specifically, but it was something along the lines of, man, if they, I just want them to know that you, you can actually rap. You know, I remember, I remember that. And I remember thinking, fuck them. You know, like I, I can't do any more to prove that I'm an MC, man. I, I, I'm not, not a battle rapper. You know, I'm not, I don't know what they want from me. You know what I mean? I, I am who I am. I'm going to be who I am. And I think that was always something that Marshall really wanted for me. He really wanted people to appreciate what he saw and what he heard. And, but he understood it in a way that only the elite MCs understood. It, it's like, yeah, get the cosign from Busta Rhymes, Tech Nine, Twista, fucking Marshall Mathers, all of all of Slaughterhouse, you know, uh, Bun B, uh, Big Boy from Outcast, some of the most credible MCs that have ever lived, co-signed and brought me into their world. But what we understood as MCs didn't translate. To the, to the mainstream the way that I think Marshall and Interscope thought it would because they heard and saw something that we as artists appreciated. Not, not necessarily what the masses were going to get immediately because they still had to deal with he's still a white boy from Alabama. He's still got a mohawk and tattoos and he's still talking this country shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not from a city with 2 million people. There's just a few thousand people there. So how, how many people can actually relate to this shit? So it's gonna, it took me the 10 years to fucking build a fan base and to find those people around the world who understood what I was talking about. It wasn't gonna happen with a fucking single. It was gonna happen with touring and dedication. And, and, that, and that's what I had to do. Yeah, different cultures as well, as you say, like the rock and roll community, skating, you know, you've got your toe in so many like areas of, of culture 
And obviously your fan base, I imagine, is incredibly broad when you look out at a live show. There's no type, right? There might be certain, you know, kind of looks that fit in with what your fan base might be overall. But I imagine you pull from all areas. Um, and that takes time to build, doesn't it? Time, miles, and, and a lot of shows. A lot of shows. A lot of fucking shows, man. Yeah, a lot of shows, a lot of, a lot of uh, bridging, bridging gaps, you know. Uh, and if you couple all that with the social anxiety that was building, building, building all the way up to 2020 and the world erupted over it, you know, it was like, just playing that middle ground, man, where I've always been. Um, you know, that I'm from a very racially tense state, Alabama. And so there was also that cultural gap that I felt a responsibility to glue and to disperse and to change stereotypes. You know, it was a weight, honestly, that I was never, I had to realize as I got older, I was never really built to hold. And I had to shake some of that responsibility and go, you know, this isn't my fight to fight. I just have to do me, you know? So, uh, and, and, and in doing me, relieving that responsibility that I put on myself has been a, a, a big positive change and, a, and has helped me to, stay in love with music because you can really get caught up in trying to make it make sense for people. Like, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand? What is it that I'm doing wrong? Like, what am I not saying? I just stopped beating myself up about it. Just said, fuck it, man. You know, like I am who I am. <laughs> yeah. Authenticity counts for a lot and people see that and relate to that. And you know, if you're just true to yourself, Hopefully intelligent people recognize that, are drawn towards it, and then you know you realize that actually you're drawing in all these different types of people just by being you. And people see that authenticity in you and they're drawn to that. And that in its own way, although it's not a conscious like protest, um, that does bring people together. It does away with barriers and boundaries and uh, sorry, boundaries and borders uh, and yeah. bullshit, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. There's a there's a payoff to just sticking to your guns and um, yeah, man, just, you know, like it's a different era, obviously now in the world of hip hop and music in general, where, you know, I grew up where there was pockets of culture and music. The South had a sound, East coast had a sound, West coast had a sound, Texas had a sound. Now everybody sounds the same. Yep. Like literally there's an artist coming out of Europe, somewhere in London that sounds just like someone from Atlanta, Georgia and in New York. And like, it's like they share into this vibe, this frequency because of uh, social media. And um, it's the death of so subculture, it, it, isn't it? Which has its own downsides. Like subcultures create really interesting art. They create interesting fashion movements. Um, and, you know, I'm not talking about tribalism, that's different and that can be very negative, but there's certainly something to be said for when people are like really passionate about one specific kind of a, you know, a flavor 
and then they bring their own flavor into that world and as you say now it's like everybody likes everything but kind of loves nothing is what it seems like to me and so you do just get this homogenous kind of like and that's the same with rock music for sure as well yeah well you know at this point you know myself and a small circle of artists that i know personally we've kind of we have like an unspoken law to maintain regional sound. You know what I'm saying? Like no matter what goes on in the world, no matter what's trending, just maintain a regional sound and hold on to what we have created. Um, Who would your peers be, dude? Who do you consider amongst your peers, your contemporaries? Uh, well, depending on the genre we're talking about, but I think that in hip hop, I think there's a few key artists in America that to me are maintaining the voice for their region. I think, I think ASAP, the, the whole ASAP mob does a really good job at like representing New York and, uh, Rocky and Ferg and especially Rocky and Ferg. And um, I think that uh, Kendrick does a really, really good job at representing his sound and his ideas and his, and his voice from Compton. I think Big Crit does a really well job of, of representing Mississippi. I think that, um, who else? I think that, uh, Future does a really good job at maintaining the Atlanta sound and, 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 and feeding that and, you know, making, you know, like the organized noise influences that he has. Uh, and as far as rock and roll goes, uh, currently, I think that Shooter Jennings, he, he, well, he and I, have created something that I think is going to be pr pretty shocking. You know what I mean? He's amazing. Uh, he, he did a record with Duff from Guns N' Roses recently, which was great. And he's just doing really exciting stuff. Yeah, dude. Like Shooter just, uh, Shooter, like he, as a producer, like he really erases what whatever is going on in the world and he he really really focuses on the particular artist that he's working with and uh he's a gem of a producer he's a gem of a musician and a person i mean just all around i think that shooter is a very very important and uh needed producer and he's that dude is is, is next up man i truly truly believe that he's got all the makings of of a Rick Rubin to me, you know, and he's got a wealth of knowledge of all kinds of music and the record that we made together. is just like, I just can't wait for people to, to, to vibe on it. And, um, when's that one so, dropping? Yeah. You've already put out four albums this year. It's insane levels of fucking productivity, man. I absolutely love it. I admire it so much. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, I mean, 20, yeah, after quarantine, we just I just buckled down and built a little studio under my staircase, literally like a five by five studio. I couldn't even stand up in it. <laughs> um, and I just started writing, 
just write, 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 you know, and Shooter and I did a few demos on the internet before we got in the studio. I wrote all of Mudmouth Under the Stairs. Um, Do you know the record yeah. I love? That fucking Mile Zero album with Mugs, man, is so good. And he's got such a unique sound. You know, I love Cypress Hill. I love everything he's ever put his hands to, really. And that record that you did with him, is it an album or an EP? I can't remember whether it's full length or what, but it's fucking great. Yeah, it's a... I would, it's an album for sure. Um, yeah, Muggs and I like because uh, Estevan, uh, Estevan became a homie of uh, of mine. That's probably the, photo- eight. The, the photographer, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. photographer. And he's been shooting my career for like almost ten years, man. Like, so every time I'm out west, we just hang out. We've been talking about it for years. Like, man, take me because I knew his. Obviously, his his history with Cypress Hill. I was like, man, he's take me to meet Mugs, you know. So finally, he takes me to the studio, and um, I didn't know really what was gonna happen. You know, I didn't know if we were gonna vibe or if we were gonna make a song or whatever. But you know, thirty forty five minutes into hanging out, he starts to play me some beats and started talk, talking conceptually and we both were just like, oh, you know, it'd be dope if we just do 93 to 97 sound. You That's know? what it is. It's classic. It's fucking classic old school. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I started writing to. You know, those were my, that's when I started putting pen to paper, man, was through old fucking Ali, Ali Shaheed Muhammad beats and um, fucking old uh, hieroglyphics instrumentals and Jay Dilla instrumentals and it was that sound that, that was driving me to the pen um, along with organized noise but the, to me that's all in the same wheelhouse um, yeah just lo-fi break beats with really warm classic samples and uh, shit man we, it was just like a light bulb for him and I we were like yeah that's perfect let's do that you know so he would send me these loops, like basically four bar loops that were like five minutes long. And I just started going in, you know, there's, there's only one record on there with a hook and that's with me and, uh, be real. Yeah. The rest of it is just for the sake of hip hop, you know, for the sake of having fun writing and, and wordplay. Uh, man, that, that project was so much fun to make and I'm just happy that it's out. I think for one, once and for all, it says that I'm cut from a, a very like authentic piece of, of hip hop. You know, this is, and I think people should know and appreciate my appreciation for hip hop and how far it goes back with me. You know, I'm not just a fucking country motherfucker playing around with hip hop, man. Like I come from the real deal, you know? And so, uh, I, I'm, I was stoked that, that, I got to make that project. It's definitely uh, uh, a career high, that that album. Yeah, it's dope, man. Well, somebody who's very close with those two is very close with Mugs and Be Real, um, somebody I've toured with and somebody who I love, Everlast. Um, obviously, um, you know, him not him and Eminem not so close, perhaps, but is, is Everlast somebody you would work with? Because I Yeah, think- of course. Everlast is the homie, man. Everlast, uh, actually... 
Everlast was coming, came out to a show in Germany and we had met before. Super, super cool. And obviously I'm a huge fan, you know? So he came out to a show in Germany and he was just there chilling, taking photos, you know, at the time he's, he's got like a side hobby of shooting photography. So he's shooting the show, hanging out backstage. And I, as we were all together, that's the night of, um, um, the Eagles of death metal bombing happened in Paris. Yeah. And, um, so we, we bonded even deeper during that time, you know, yeah, he had a buddy, it. he had a buddy that passed there and we had a couple fans on the front front row that were at our show the night before in Paris that passed. Um, so yeah, it was a heavy time. So, Everlast is a lifelong homie, man. You know, I don't talk to him much, but I got nothing but love and respect for Everlast. And absolutely, I'd love to work for the Everlast. You kidding me? He's incredible. Yeah, that would be an exciting project. Are you still close with Marshall? Do you still keep in touch? Are you still like friends? Uh, I don't talk to Marshall much at all, but I didn't talk to Marshall much anyway. You right. know, like uh, Marshall's a very private artist you know and a private human all the times we did talk it was always always good and uh he always had the utmost respect for me as i did for him and uh i'll always love and honor marshall for the opportunity you know and the and the records we made and just you know being able to make music with with him was just amazing you know and uh i learned so much being there um and yeah and i shared the stage with him a few times while i was there you know opened up for him at slaying castle you know and uh we did a, another show after that so there was there's definitely times that, you know i made history in my own in my own career you know with marshall so yeah, that's my dude, man. Forever. Yeah, best friend as well. He slays on that. What a great track that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I snatched one of his best verses of all time. Yeah, easy. <laughs> easy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What about Kid Rock? He's on, obviously, Let's Roll, is it, on the Radioactive Records? Um, and he's someone who's really interesting because, like, I think he gets the bad end of the stick a lot nowadays. But back in the day, certainly when he was coming up, he was pretty revolutionary, wasn't he? He was pretty influential and radically different to what was going on. And I mean, is he somebody that you connected with early on? Was he somebody that inspired you early on? What's the deal there? Bob, Bob inspired me culturally. You know, like, I can't quote Bob's records. You know what I mean? but I loved from afar what he represented because that was me. Culturally speaking, that was me where he was bringing in rock and roll and country and hip hop. Although he was bringing it in from his own recipe. I love the fact that he was pushing it and holding it down. And um, I think that, me seeing Bob and what he was doing made me realize that I can't reinvent the wheel here, but I can bring my own flavor to this existing style. And so in that way, he was a huge inspiration. And uh, um, I think that where I think Bob's political views may have uh, derailed some of people's attention span, you know, except for the, obviously the people that agree with his political stance, which I do not. Um, but I, I think that that would, that's the one thing that would like deter a listener. If that's what you mean by the short end of the stick. Yeah. I think that that's pretty much the, the gist of where that there's a ceiling to your, political stance yeah he just needed to stop hanging out with ted nugent didn't he (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh but i got i I got nothing but love for bob and um obviously he needs no help you know like this dude is he's had and will forever have a solid dedicated fan base you know what i mean so whereas people may not recognize or hear what he's been doing lately he'll still go sell 20 30,000 tickets in an arena it's well like he's that. sold fucking millions of albums man millions yeah. of records yeah bar with the bar with dang it dang getting it <laughs> what about killer mike that guy's the the triple threat for me he's like wise he's hilarious and he's supremely talented i know you go way back he was on like your first record right the very first one how did you two yeah come mike and it? i yeah, Mike was one of my very first, like, literal, legit cosigns early, early on. You know, um, we did van tours together, you know. Wow. Before Run in, the Jewels. Oh, dude, I was in I was in some of the very first sessions ever with LP and, and Mike at Tree Sound Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. I was there at the very, very beginning and knew both of them separately before they got together 
LP actually approached me a few years before to do a project and uh, we never did get around to it. And LP hit, hit me up to get on Run the Jewels first album. And for whatever fucking stupid reason, I didn't get to the studio. I didn't make it on the album. I didn't record the verse. It's one of my most regretted sessions that I didn't join in. Uh, I love, love Mike and LP. And uh, do you think they'll extend the invitation again? Dude, if they invited me, of course, I, I, you know, I I would jump on it in a second. And uh, uh, yeah, they're amazing, man. Like, what a story. Both of them. You know, uh, they're, they're, they're just incredible. But Mike, um, Mike's always been a good friend of mine, man. Always just, just been there, man. Through, uh, through some of the hardest times, actually. Mike's been, you know, had my back, you know? So. Yeah, just from like, you know, the peripheral way outside looking in, he seems like such authentic, again, going back to that word, the real deal. And in this last you know, 18 month period when everything that has been going on in the world has been unfolding. He's really, I think, led by example and used his platform for good um, and just been a really fucking, you know, a beacon of, of, of wisdom and positivity during these weird times. He's born for it. Mike's born for it, man. Like he's an extreme, extremely smart human and he retains information really really well man like not everybody's cut out to be that person i i could never i don't know enough i don't know enough about fucking american history and i don't know enough about politics i don't know enough about his social awareness is way way up he knows about everything that's going on so he can speak intelligently about it and it's amazing to watch him articulate you know on camera like speaking with true heart true emotion but actual fact you know he was born for that man he's always been that way by the way like long fan conversations you just got to be quiet you know like there's certain things i just can't go i don't i'm just like dude like i don't i don't know the history of the dates and history of this person that did this and that you just sit back and listen he's got like he's gonna end up being a professor or something you know for real the world needs people like him and thank god we have him and what's great is just like he's just so funny as well he did this show for netflix trigger warning and like you know because he is so smart and can be so profound and sensitive and serious there's this whole other side to him. He's just the funniest motherfucker as well. Yeah, he just has you in stitches. Yeah, he's stupid funny. Yeah, I mean, well, you got to have a sense of humor, man. Fucking dealing with yeah. this shit. Yeah. You still go crazy if you can't laugh at some of it, man. You know? Yeah, but definitely we're in a better place for, for Killer Mike. You know, need more people like him. I agree. What keeps you hungry and inspired, man? Like, because that productivity, um is so inspiring as i said earlier and it's you know it's been there since day one and it's clearly not going anywhere what keeps you interested and engaged and and hungry i mean the short of it is keeping to myself um like i've i've i have a a pattern of 
leaving social media for a while. I've, I've left social media once for almost a year. Um, and that was the time I was focusing on making love story. And, um, amazing album, by the way, dude, really, really uh, great. And, uh, and so I just take my time, man. I just, I just check out of what's going on currently because I, I know that if I know me and I'm, I'm very, uh, absorbent and I don't I don't want to be influenced I don't want to catch a vibe that may translate in the studio for me so I'm very well I'm very like I keep my walls up respectfully you know I don't block out or hate on anything that's going on currently but um I'm quick to shut off the radio um and just take my time. Like I, I don't have social media apps on my phone right now. I don't have Instagram, Facebook, nothing is on my phone. If I want to post something, I send it to my manager. And, uh, just so that I'm not distracted with DMS or comments or I don't get caught up in how many likes or none of this bullshit, you know, well, that, that stuff affects and directs you, doesn't it? As you say, especially if you're someone who's sensitive and open, um, and you can take on board what's kind of going on online and it affects and dilutes the art. So you're keeping it pure. I, I respect that. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's so many times. I'm very immediate with, like, dude, if I get in an argument with someone at the gas station on the way to the studio, it probably is going to end up in the purse. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's very immediate. Eminem style, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do reach back at times and talk about past experiences. And, you know, obviously, just like all other artists, I create scenarios and, and fantasies. But there's a wealth of my music that's very immediate, very of the moment. A fight with my girl. I'm on the way to the studio and I'm that's what it ends up being. Um, so I have to be careful of what I absorb. So I just protect myself. And that's how I stay inspired and stay in love with the music is... Uh, by not being distracted. And what about the work ethic side? Where, where does that come from? Because I'm just, uh, I'm not comfortable sitting still, man. I, I get that from my mom. I'm, my grandmother says it perfectly. My mother was born with a purse on her shoulder, you know, ready to go. Yeah. And so I moved around as, you know, in my youth, I went to 15 different schools, you know, I, I, constantly bouncing constantly bouncing uh so it's sort of a gypsy lifestyle so i'm i'm in a comfort zone in motion and i'm not really comfortable sitting still i mean i move around on vacation you know uh are you a family man yeah yeah i've got three kids man Oh wow! I'm at the deal. I'm at the dealership right now, getting my son his first car. Oh man, big day! Love it. Yeah, but well, tomorrow is uh, tomorrow's his birthday, so uh, this isn't going to come out before then, is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, tight. I, I won't spoil, I the spoil the surprise. Yeah, no. amazing. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm a family man. I'm a father of three. Um, you have... you had kids pretty young as well, then, right? If your kids already driving. Oh yeah, yeah, super. Yeah super young i started early that's a 
that's tradition in my family. That's <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, get have kids, get married. So I'm I'm happily married currently. Fifi Dobson Atha. We have beautiful home out in Hendersonville, and yeah, man, just families, families, everything for sure. What about the party side of things that you've obviously been around since a young kid? Um, is that still a part of your life? And have you ever at any point gone too far to that side? Because it seems like you've managed to balance a career and having fun extremely well, which isn't always the easiest of things. I did for a while. I, I At least I thought I had it, had it balanced. And then I, I fucking took it too far. I went nuts and caught a 5150 and san diego you know got pretty much locked up in a, in a psych ward so i got my 5150 stripes how long were you that in? Shook, that shook me up enough to just you know straighten the fuck up um i was there for four days but gnarly dude like uh, everything you see in the movies or seen in these like green day video and shit like in the scrubs and the in the fucking room with the plastic furniture and shit, like the whole nine, man, it was really, really fucked up. And that was enough to wake me up to realize, you know, I had taken it too far. You know, I don't think that, uh, balance is, uh, that's a lifelong, uh, learning experience. You know what I mean? I'm not sure that I'll ever have the confidence to say, I've got it figured out. You know, I still, I still have fun. I still party here and there, but I've gotten into a, a good habit of taking long breaks. That's what I I do. That's what I do, man. But I actually find abstinence is easier than moderation. Moderation is where I struggle. (laughs) Exactly. Look, man, let me just quit for a while and I'm chill because when I go back in, I'm going in hard. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All or <Yeah>. nothing. <laughs> well, exactly. listen, I, I'll let you go in a minute. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been really cool connecting with you, man. I'm just a big fan of, of not just your music, but you know your your work ethic, the way you carry yourself, and the way you bring together so many different like strands of culture and and everything you do and represent is you know fucking cool and i respect it wholeheartedly um you mentioned green day a minute ago there and i would love to chat to you about tim armstrong and and travis barker and skinhead rob the transplants crew um what was it like connecting and working with those guys that first transplants record for me soundtrack to my youth fucking love rancid they're one of my favorite bands of all time tim armstrong's one of my favorite songwriters of all time obviously travis is just a beast extremely prolific like yourself his hands seem to be in everything now what was it like getting in the studio and and jumping on the tracks with those guys uh just a quick i'll I'll run through how that happened so i'm at the fantasy factory with rob dyrdek rob dyrdek had this show the fantasy factory on mtv and he had this factory where he had put up the skate park again like i'm heavily skateboarding so in between music and la i'm sussing out skateboarders to go chill with so I ended up at the Fantasy Factory and um, Drama Beats, his little cousin, had a studio in, in, the, in the factory. So I cut this song, Daddy's Lambo, at, at their studio that night. And Rob was like, dude, you got to meet Travis Barker. You're like, you're like, you know, separated at birth or some shit. You guys would fucking get along great. So Rob Dyrdek called um, Travis Barker. 
and Paul Rosenberg also had already caught wind of, you know, I, the shady deal was not done yet, but in the works. So Rob and Paul kind of teamed up and sent me over to Travis's studio to work with them. So when I got there, you know, it's just at the time Travis was smoking. So the whole studio was fucking flooded with weed smoke and, <laughs> you know, walked around the corner and Travis there sitting with his beat machine on his lap. And it was surreal, honestly, like seeing him uh, a lot like seeing Marshall for the first time, you know, it was like, dude, it's fucking Travis Barker, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, this is the one, you know, this is the guy. <laughs> So um, Travis, man, just took me under his wing, man. Put me down with the famous family, introduced me to all his, all his close friends, his family, and really was my gate. He was my gateway into the West Coast, you know? Like, he took me everywhere with him, man. He was my mentor and my friend and... um my dog like it like if i had a show travis would just pull up with drums you know like it didn't matter if it was fucking 500 people or 10,000 people he would pull up and play and we just had a really rad relationship man we ended up doing psycho white and then uh he introduced me to tim obviously and rob and uh the vibe was just it was just Right. And, and Rob was right. We were cut from the same cloth, just two different coasts. I mean, I, I literally feel like if Travis was born in Alabama, we would be doing the same exact thing. You know what I mean? And if I was born on the West Coast, that's exactly the crew and the, and the type of culture I would have tied myself into. You know, so we share that same like angst. We share the same drive. And uh, he became, to me, he's a god as an entrepreneur. You know, I don't think there's anyone in the business I can think of that has balanced a clothing brand and a music career, well, the famous, famous brand period, as gracefully as Travis Barker and maintaining a, a really really respectable and honorable fatherhood. He is literally the best father. Like, I, I don't know a, a better father than Travis. And that is the most impressive thing. It's not, it's not just the music. It's not the business. It's all of that, but you, you, you're the best dad, you know, and one of the best people. Um, so, yeah, it was basically like after I got to know him, it was basically anybody that Travis Barker co-signed is cool with me. You know, like if, if he introduced me to them, then they're basically friends for life. Unless they piss Travis off and then I'm over them. <laughs> what an amazing benefactor and champion to have. Um, and, you, you know, it sounds like you've had a few in your life. Pretty amazing people, you know, be there for you throughout the good and the bad times as you were saying um with mike and obviously marshall early on travis um you're only as good as the company you keep aren't you and you learn from these people and it's inspiring yeah man i mean travis is probably 
Travis, as far as artists go in my life, it's Travis Barker and DJ Paul. Those are the most important established artists that I consider my older brothers that have been the most influential and positive mentors in my life. So and, and I, I don't want to end this conversation without mentioning the importance of DJ Paul in my life. That's my fucking brother, you know, from day one, man. Uh, and outside of every every artist, I put DJ Paul at the very, very top, you know. That dude is taking care of me. I mean, like family. I mean, my mother has photos of DJ Paul in a frame on her coffee table. It's like that. <laughs> you know, this it's that's my fucking brother. And he was the first real gangster rap show I'd ever been to. 1997 Atrium, Atlanta, Georgia. Three Six Mafia and Mystical was opening up for him. What a show. Yeah, I was the only white boy there. <laughs> I love it. And then you're like, I'm having a bit of this. This is me. This is my life now. I was up in there in the fucking mosh pit getting beat up. <laughs> Let me ask you this, dude. In the interest of paying it forward, is there anybody in your life, like younger, newer, that you're helping out, bringing up, or even inspired by, or, you know, digging what they're doing? Um... Well, it's hard. It's there's a group of artists. There's a handful of artists that um, are out there that I'm listening to, watching and appreciating. And I don't want to single anyone out because I, uh, well, I just don't want. I don't want to single any one of them out. But I will say that. Oh, lost you, dude. You're still there. I got. There oh, you. I'm back. I will say that um, I'll always have my eye out, you know. Um, but great, great talent is extremely rare, man. And once you get past the talent mark and they've passed to me, in my opinion, if they've passed all the credentials of being an artist, as far as talent is concerned, you then have to go through and watch them as they crawl through and see how they manage. Yeah. 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 If an, if an artist can get through five years, that's what's up. You know, it's a fucking grind, isn't it, man? It's a grind and it's a hustle. And so many people, even if they have the talent, just aren't cut out for the lifestyle and the wear and tear that this business can can have, you know? Like touring, of course, is the number one thing, but just the fucking sharks in the industry and your ability to, you know, navigate those seas and do so, as you said earlier on, with integrity um, and honor and not lose your soul, lose yourself in the process. It's a battle, man. You know, I'm I'm more interested in the career artist than I am flash in a pen you know because i am a career artist so i i'm i seek out career artists 
you know, and uh, because I'm inspired by them. So there's a lot of young talent. There's a lot of great music out there. Amazing music, actually. Um, but, you know, we'll see how the next five years pans out for, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the newcomers. Dude, this has been amazing. And I just, yeah, I hope that when you get over to the UK, whenever that's happening, we can connect and have a drink and, and meet in person, man. I just love talking to you and, and love what you do. And um, well, yeah, out, I will shout out Slow Ty. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he's a fucking he's a live wire, that dude. Super talented. Great energy. My friend does some photos for him every now and again. And yeah, he's a badass. Yeah, fucking definitely. I'm loving slow time, man. So, uh, <laughs> so I can't wait to get back over there and rock, man. I'll, I'll see you at the next show, hopefully. Yeah, man. I hope to see you. Cheers, dude. You have a good day, and I hope your kid enjoys the car. I'm sure he will. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Peace, man. Later. I'm the Iggy Pop of Hip-Hop when I walk in the boot dog. I'm the truth like Biggie Rockin' with Tupac and a suit talk and a proof drop and a deuce fill up a syllable clip like a refillable script cock and a shoot. Who you think's my clock that I use that I pull from to get my strength up against these haters and they'll be waiting at the gate when you get sprayed up sitting you home straight up to deal with my best friend. To the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I hold you nearest, my best friend. Let the trumpets blow with your appearance, I can almost hear it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.